0: Amen, amen. Would you pray with me as we continue in worship? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. God, your living word who is Jesus. Lord, and as we gather, we praise you that we have this word before us, that we hope and trust by your spirit's goodness and leadership, Father, remains the focal point of all that we do, driving our practice Lord, not by what we feel or what might we see done around us, but rather what we find written in Your Word. Father, You are a God whose Word was with You in the beginning, whose Word was God, who is Jesus. Lord, and as we study this Word, we pray that You would speak to us. Lord, that Your Spirit, which resides in each who is a a child of God, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into eternal life. Father, this same Spirit which inspired these words, Lord, would would move our hearts. Father, break down as was prayed, as George prayed, God, the, the things and the troubles, the distractions of our lives, so that we might be real with You. For You see us as we are. God, it's so easy in a world where the outward is what is focused upon to to come and pretend, to keep up a pretense, as if things are fine, when in reality we are hurting and we are broken, and we are all sinful. Father, there is not one who is not with sin. But God, because of what Christ has done, because of the family that You have made us, God, we may come and be ourselves, and be accepted by one another, by grace, for we have been shown that same grace by You. Lord, may our love for one another be an evidence, a testimony to our community, to our world, that we are your disciples. May we love one another as you've loved us, we pray, God. And as we turn now to this word, would you speak, we pray, Father, that we would hear from you and you only be reminded of the beauty of the gospel as it is throughout your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it's always on a Sunday that I have the privilege of walking through the new members class that I'm just so excited by the time I get here. I'm always, I'm always amped because I'm always running late because I've had so much fun with those in our class. And if you were in there, you know we, we're, we're not anywhere close to where we should have been. But God has given us so much that just 45 minutes together on a Sunday just doesn't seem fair for all the beauty that we're trying to see together. And that is how it is with God's Word. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, would you open it with me and find the book of 2 Chronicles and chapter 21. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And this morning marks the eighth message in our series entitled King of Kings. And our sermon subjects are the eighth and ninth kings of Israel and then Judah, respectively. And we began this journey back on September 25th for those who've been keeping track. And it's going to conclude December 25th when we're going to gather together on that Sunday, Christmas Sunday, and we're going to celebrate together the arrival of the King of Kings, who is Jesus, the Son of God, who, although like us, in every way was God. He was like His Father in every way. And have you ever noticed how how often a son is, is like his father, hence the saying, like father, like son, right? You know, and, and it's a saying that has, interestingly enough, been around since the Dark Ages. I know it's not just a saying, literally, 14th century was when it was coined. And, and it's often so true, isn't it? And what I find humorous with regards to the reality that is reflected by these words is often the reaction of those who are so addressed as a child, I remember just swelling with pride when I would hear people say, man, Quinn, that boy of yours, he looks just like you, a chip off the old block. You know, I was, I was always so proud since past 10, But I was always so <laughs> proud when people would say, man, you look just like your dad. And I, you know, and it would make me try to act, you know, and look even more like my dad. I'd wear his clothes. I'd help him with his projects. Guys, I saw myself becoming exactly like my father, like father, like son, right? But then I hit teenage years, and all of a sudden, dad was a total dork. And I was like, I don't want to be like this man. The, the clothes that this man picks, he does so for pragmatic purposes. And there's no fashion sense whatsoever. I can't, and I'm not cool enough to go so retro as to wear something that was cool like a half century ago. And so I, I, I couldn't take it. And I would. Fain mortification when I would hear those words, man, Andrew, you are growing more and more into your father, you know? and, and I know this is true for you; it's not just me. You know, I'm not the only one. But then, as a young adult who survived the turbulent travel of teenage years, my eyes were finally open to see just how awesome was my dad. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I desire to dress like the man, nor do I have any interest in washing and waxing my cars like him. But I saw what a humble faithful, Christ-honoring man my Father is, and that I desire to be just like that guy. Why? Because that guy is like Christ. And I know, I'm truly blessed, and that this is not the story for many, even here this morning today, and it's not the story for the two kings that we're going to study this morning. And so if your Bibles are open, let me invite you to follow along. As I read our text, it begins in Second Chronicles 21. And verse 1. And we'll see our first point together for this morning, and that is set for success. Set for success. But this is 2 Chronicles 21, beginning in verse 1. The chronicler records Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoram's brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, were Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Mikael, and Shephthah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel their father had given them many gifts of silver and gold and articles of value as well as fortified cities in Judah. But he had given the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. Let me just pause right there for a moment and may God bless his word read publicly. Just to remind those who may have forgotten and then to inform those who are visiting with us today, but the Jehoshaphat, that's referenced in these verses we just read, was a phenomenal king, incredible. We studied his life at length last week, and we saw how in his early years, he prioritized the spiritual obedience, purity, and growth of his people. Jehoshaphat was passionate for the glory of God's name, and God blessed him. God provided the people of Judah under his leadership with over 20 years of peace and prosperity that were the envy of all their neighbors. But then, as we saw together, Jehoshaphat grew proud. He had poor taste in women, he made ungodly friends, he partnered with wicked leaders, and God punished him for it. But unlike his father, that's Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, Jehoshaphat broke with tradition and he repented. He sought God's forgiveness and once again he became reliant on the Lord and he joined and rejoiced in God's provision. The the many gifts of silver, gold, articles of value that we read here, Jehoshaphat gave to his sons along with the fortified cities that are mentioned were all the result of God's abundant grace and Jehoshaphat's humble obedience to love the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul, with all his mind and his strength. God blessed Jehoshaphat according to that text with seven sons. That's the the biblical number for completeness. It reflects the source of that gift to be God. And upon Jehoshaphat's death, While all these sons are amply provided for the eldest, whose name, interestingly enough, means Yahweh is exalted, Jehoram is made king. And so, with this incredibly godly heritage, along along with an amazing inheritance, the stage seems to be set for Jehoshaphat's heir to continue in his father's footsteps, doesn't it? Jehoram is set for success. We, We would expect the statement that we began with, like father, like son, to reflect all that's going to follow here. Because not only has Jehoram had a great example of a successful leader and what it looks like, but his father has also provided him with several very good examples of what a poor leader, who makes poor choices looks like, and how painful the consequences are, those decisions can be. Jehoram has been able to see both the good, the bad, and the restored. And so what do you think the man's first act as king is going to be? Well, let's see together. Look back with me to your text. Second Chronicles 21. Look at verse 4. When Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 8 years. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, Because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. Let me stop right there. How is that for a shock to the system? After Jehoram has established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he executes his brothers along with a number of Israel's princes. And this heinous act initially strikes us as wholly out of character when it's set against his father's legacy, doesn't it? I mean, where would Jehoram have even gotten this idea? There's, there's not a king in his lineage who had acted in this manner. This fratricide was without precedent in Judah. But sadly, this is not the nation, as our text tells us, to whom Jehoram turned. Jehoram was set for success, but sadly he allied himself with Ahab, our second point for this morning. He allied himself With Ahab, you notice how the writer there summarizes Jehoram's reign? He writes, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. If you were with us last week, we studied Jehoshaphat, and we noticed how he became allied with Ahab through marriage. And so it was this marriage of his son Jehoram with Ahab's daughter Athaliah which resulted in all manner of trouble for Jehoshaphat. Jehoram gave his heart to a woman who did not share his faith or his values. Athaliah's family worshipped idols, and not just any idols, as if any idol worship is okay, but not all idol worship is as overtly opposed to God as the worship of those which involve human sacrifice. Such was the wickedness of the woman Jehoram married that she and her family did not value human life, didn't value moral purity, didn't value the God of Scripture. Her father was Ahab is the most evil king Israel had ever had, is a man whose public policy was to slay any and all prophets of God. And this was the alliance that Jehoram formed, which is why, sadly, we should not be shocked when we read of these first acts of him as king. Jehoram simply acted in consistency with the kings of Israel before him. Basha, who ruled when Jehoram's grandfather Asa was king, Basha killed Nadab, who was the son of Jeroboam, and then he continued, according to 1 Kings 15-29, He continued to kill off Jeroboam's whole family. After Basha, his son, Allah, becomes king during still Jehoshaphat's grandfather Asa's reign, a man named Zimri comes along and kills Ella, And then according to 1 Kings 16.11, as soon as he began to reign and was seated on the throne, he kills off Basha's whole family. Did not spare a single male, whether relative or friend. This was the tragic legacy of Israel's kings. And this was the heritage that Jeroboam Willingly, knowingly, openly made his own. And friends, as the obvious warning, point of application and warning for us in Jehoram's alliance is reflected by what the Apostle Paul would later so explicitly warn the church in Corinth against. And that is partnering with unbelievers. Partnering with unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul declares, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's the devil. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, We might wonder, well, what kind of partnerships is the Apostle Paul talking about here? I mean, does this mean that I can't have friends or go to the home of an unbeliever? And the answer is, clearly, of course, you can have friends who aren't saved, and you can fellowship in the home of somebody who doesn't know Christ. The the partnership against which Paul is warning and against which God himself warned his people, because Paul actually quotes in verse 17, God saying, therefore, come out from them, be separate but the partnership that's being described here is, is one in which you share your heart. And by heart, we don't mean the Disney fairy tale love story heart. We mean that which you most care about, your passions. Church, we must not enter into relationships with unbelievers in which we expose ourselves to sharing that which is most intimate when his name is not Jesus. Jehoram partnered light with darkness. And the outcome was devastating for both him and his people as we're about to see. So look back with me now to our text. and Look at verse 8. The chronicler continues. Verse 8. In the time of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against Judah and set up its own king. So Jehoram went there with his officers and all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders. But he rose up and broke through by night. To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. Libna revolted at the same time because Jehoram had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. He also built high places on the hills of Judah and had caused the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves and had led Judah astray. Jehoram received a letter from Elijah the prophet which said, I love this, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. You have not walked in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or of Asa, king of Judah, but you have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, And you have led Judah and the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves just as the house of Ahab did. You've also murdered your own brothers, members of your father's house, men who were better than you. So now the Lord is about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and everything that is yours with a heavy blow. Church, in these verses, I I believe that there are three spheres of life which are always directly and detrimentally affected by sinful partnerships. Three spheres of life. The first is the personal, the personal sphere. Everything that Jehoram held dear, everything that this man had sought to secure, even going to the extreme lengths of murdering family, everything in Jehoram's personal sphere was struck down. First, in regards to his lust for power. We're told that a people over whom, according to Scripture, Judah had always ruled now... Rebelled, And when he went to restore order, he barely escaped with his life, let alone his pride. Jehoram's sin stunted the extent of his power, but it also, second, led to the loss of his most prized possessions. It's in verses that we didn't read, but which followed those that we have. You might read that the Lord aroused against Jehoram the hostility of the Philistines and of the Arabs who lived near the Cushites. The result was that these nations attacked Judah and Jerusalem. They carried off, according to scripture, all the goods found in the king's palace, together with his sons and wives. Not a son was left to him except Ahaziah the youngest. So Jehoram's sin results in him losing the very thing he'd murdered all of his family for. His power, his possessions, and then third, his physical health. Elijah's letter goes on to describe, and we didn't read this, but how Jehoram's going to be ill with a lingering disease. And this wasn't just like any kind of disease. This is a disease of his bowels, which Elijah declares he's going to ultimately die from in the most painful way imaginable. What a horrible end to a tragic partnership. And yet how true are the points of application that we might draw from this for our lives? When we, church, when we partner with the world, everything we personally hold dear will be detrimentally affected. And I had a friend a number of years, or about a year or so ago, I ran into him about a month and a half ago, but he decided he didn't want to be married anymore. I had two little kids, decided it was time he wanted to be free to follow his his heart, love love life and get out there while he had time and do what he could. And I met with him at Buffalo Wild Wings here in Salisbury. probably the most forceful. Uh, the most objective I have ever been in a confrontation and rebuke, warning him of what the scripture said and what the outcome of this decision would be for his family. You know, church, he he, he wasn't interested. His heart was determined to do what he wanted sinfully and selfishly. And this guy has now lost his job. He's lost his home. You know, and that's not just his house, but all that went with making what he had in his possession a home, as well as his health. I ran into him about, like I said, a month and a half ago, and it was shocking to see his physical appearance. The man was emaciated. He looked like he'd aged 20 years. It broke my heart as he described to me all the stress that he was under, which was the direct result of the sinful decisions that he had made upon himself. Church, partnerships with the world will affect the personal, but they'll also affect the familial. The familial. Elijah warns Joram that your sons, your wives, and everything that is yours, the Lord is going to strike. Joram's... Family was directly affected by his wickedness. And as we saw a moment ago, his entire family, except for Ahaziah, were carried off into slavery or killed. So the quality of their lives was directly tied to the sinful decisions that were made by Jehoram. They failed to experience the safety and the security of a godly home. Rather than being blessed by a childhood, this is Jehoram's children in which they could have recollections, fond memories of family and and peace. The family of Jehoram experienced war and slavery. They also failed to receive any godly instruction. The very, and this is so sad, but the very things around which his father, Jehoshaphat, had prioritized his rule, teaching the people the law of God. Jehoram fails to teach in his own home with the result, as we'll see in just a moment, like father, like son. And friends, the truth of this familiar sphere is, is so obvious if you consider that personal example I shared just a minute ago with that friend of mine. His children have suffered, oh, because of his selfish, sinful, sinful decision. His wife has suffered. His, his family, his in-laws, his mother, his own brothers have been hurt and hurt because of his actions. And the point, church, I pray we hear is, this, is that wickedness, wickedness never affects only one. For Jehoram, the personal, the personal sphere was impacted. The familiar sphere was impacted. Third, the public sphere was impacted. As the leader of the nation, the partnership that Jehoram made with the family of Ahab resulted in the spread of wickedness throughout the land and the subsequent heavy blow of discipline delivered by the Lord. While Jehoram wasn't guilty of the idolatry of the people, he was directly responsible for allowing it, worse, for encouraging it. And church, again, another powerful word that we need to heed, particularly in our culture today, but just because our leaders, our nation's leaders, do not endorse <laughs> biblical values or espouse gospel truth We remain responsible for our actions before God. The culture in which we live may be wholly opposed to Jesus and to living according to His Word and obedience to His Word, but this doesn't give us reason to join Him. Rather, it's for this reason that we must stand firm and pray to God that He would enable us to stand firm. Sinful partnerships always have a public impact. Which is why, as the body of Christ, we must do everything we can to hold one one another accountable to Scripture. to, To, as Elijah there did to Jehoram, call each other to repent. And when we sin, demand that it be done. And encourage, then, one another to continue to run this race that we've had laid out before us. Jehoram's alliance with Ahab resulted in his reign being one that ended in his own painful death, his family's enslavement, and his people's suffering. And I say I love, and I shouldn't probably, but I love how the chronicler concludes his account of Jehoram's life. Verse 29, he summarizes it. And I say I love because of the efforts that this man went to preserving his reign. This is his legacy. Verse 29, the chronicler says, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. How sad. A man who did all he could, even murdering family to establish a legacy. No one cared at his end. And that's so sad, but such was the legacy of this man. And now you would think, you would think reason would argue that after such a terrible end, personally, familiarly, publicly, Whoever came next would do everything in their power to change, right? Especially if you were genetically related and had directly experienced the family failure and had had front row seats to the public fallout. So let's now turn to the second king. This is King Ahaziah. I want you to look back with me in your Bibles. This time to chapter 22. 2 Chronicles 22. And I'm going to read from verse 1. 2 Chronicles 22, verse 1. Our chronicler continues. The people of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, Jehoram's youngest son, only living, king in his place, since the raiders who came with Arabs into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after his father's death, they became his advisors to his undoing. He also followed their counsel when he went with Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Aram at Ramoth Gilead. Let me stop right there. Like father, like son. And how sad do these verses read. And at the same time, how weighted are they for us with warnings? Ahaziah reigns all of one year. It's the second shortest reign of any Judean king. And in that brief period of time, he's able to do enough to leave a legacy that's exactly like that of his father. What a tragedy. And so, as a question, what warning should we heed from this man's life? And I believe there's at least one that we ought to see together, as we saw with Jehoram, and that is the dangers of unholy alliances the dangers of unholy alliances due to his father's, don't miss this, his father's marriage. This is Ahaziah's father's marriage to Ahab's daughter. Ahaziah was not encouraged to live in light. In the light, honor the Lord, seek his will. Ahaziah's mother, Zathalia, encouraged him to do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. She directed him to seek counsel of Israel rather than that of Judah. She condoned the sinful actions, fed the lusts of his heart because she herself was dead in sin. And friends, think about this. How often do we consider the ramifications of our sinful choices and the impact that those decisions will have upon our children or upon our children's children? You know, I doubt that Jehoram gave a second thought to the impact his decision to marry Athaliah would have upon his children and his grandchildren. I I doubt he considered for a moment the influence that his new father-in-law would have upon his life and that of his family or of his entire kingdom, and yet impact it had. Now please don't hear me pointing to Athaliah or to Ahab as the cause for all that happened to Jehoram. He willfully chose to align himself with that man and that woman. He was responsible. Jehoram was responsible for that decision and for all that followed. But my point is simply that there are a great many people who became as collateral damage when such a sinful partnership was entered into. And so church knowing this reality let me urge us to resist the temptation to enter into such an arrangement? Why would we ever invite into our lives such an unholy influence that might speak authoritatively into, say, our children's hearts, influence us when we face decisions and serve as our intimate confidence? Why? Why, when we see how subtle and yet devastating sin is, we, we have got to appreciate this is exactly why God directed his people to have nothing to do with the nations that surrounded them. Now, I fully appreciate how complicated this essential exhortation is to, to, to enact, because consider just when you have parents, for example, who aren't followers of Christ, you, you, you're love, you may love your mom and your dad. You always are going to be their little Johnny or, or little Susie, but if they don't share the most important thing in your life as a believer, who is Jesus, then you can't be partnered with them. You can't turn to them when you need counsel. You can't invite them to speak into your life or the life of your children because they are as dark as to light. And while they love you, their entire value system is off. Seeking their advice in a decision would be like asking an Englishman, and I wrote this like a month ago, but we have an Englishman in our presence. And by asking an Englishman to share with us his weight, expecting an answer in pounds and ounces when we know that their entire system, while better, is totally different. Totally different. And I realize this is a harsh word to hear for many because we have family that is not saved. Family who aren't following Christ. Family that we love and with whom we share a common story. But churches, we look to the scriptures. What we encounter is the truth that when God raises us from the dead, We cease to be a part of the family into which we were born physically and we come alive in God's family spiritually. Our family is now the church where we have a father and mother and brothers and sisters to whom we can turn. We must turn when we need counsel, to to whom we ought to turn when we're in trouble, to whom we can rely on when things are bad. Emmanuel, the first people that we ought to turn to when things go south are the people that are sitting around us in this room. Ahaziah's reign was marred by sin resulting from his own wickedness and mirroring his father's sinful, unholy alliance with the house of Ahab. In the end, this man rules for only one year, and he was killed by Jehu, the man that God called to execute judgment upon the house of Ahab. Ahaziah's death was a direct result of God's judgment on Ahab and all who were related to him. And so, friends, here's another point, or danger with regards to unholy alliances. But when we find ourselves hanging out with others who are engaged in wickedness, then we face the danger of answering for the actions of those with whom we associate. And so for young people, this is a great word to heed, particularly at this stage in life where where friends may be doing things that are against the law. A simple decision to spend time with a person who's doing something illegal, and we could find ourselves very quickly facing serious punishment. Which is why, once again, God's word urges his people to set themselves apart. Have nothing to do with. In church, Jehoram and Ahaziah represent an intensely low point in the leadership of God's people. Two kings who align themselves with Israel so closely that their reigns, even their names, Jehoram of Judah and then Joram of Israel who is Ahab's son. Almost identical. And No coincidence. The sad result was that these kings suffered, their families suffered, the people suffered, just father like son. Both Jehoram and Ahaziah revealed the dangers of dabbling in sin, of partnering with those who were lost. Both were bad kings, and they served to remind God's people that, that their only hope was in the promised king of kings, who was Jesus. The king who, who while like us in every way, was wholly like his father. Jesus was God from God, light from light, true God, uh, true God from true God, for us, and, and who came for our salvation, from heaven became incarnate, and was made human, he was crucified for us, suffered, was buried, and on the third day rose again, according to the scriptures, this, this is the gospel, this Christ, who was exactly as his father, and yet came for us, so that whoever believes this gospel, who has heard and believes this gospel, might have eternal life, this This is the only hope that we have. This is what makes us family. This is what sets us for success, what gives us hope in life, purpose in all that we do. Christ is all. The Gospel is everything. And if we don't have Christ, then our lives will end up looking just like Father, like Son. But if our Father is God, then the beauty of the gospel is that he makes us into the image of his son Jesus so that we begin to look more and more like Christ. And that is in and of itself a testimony to all of those who are around us of the hope that we have, not in what we do, but in what God has done for us in his son Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you and we praise you that we have Christ Who is like you, Father. God. In every way. And yet who enfleshed himself in the person of Christ. Whose birth we remember in this season of the year. But Father, who was eternal from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. This Word that came so that we might know God. That we might know how how you are, O God. In your being. Whoever has seen the Son has seen the Father. Whoever has the Son has life. Father, we praise You for sending us Your Son. Lord, and as we look to Scripture and that Your people, whose kings began to reflect their fathers, who abandoned Your Word, who partnered themselves with, with the world, so to speak, with the things around them that were tempting, rather than standing firm in Your truth. Lord, the outcome was devastating, and Lord. So often, when we find ourselves tempted by the world, we might be led to engage in things and to partner with with those who do not know you, Lord. And the outcome we argue will be only impacting us. And so we're willing to take that chance. But Father, as we see from your truth, we are never alone in the impact of our sinful decisions. Father, everyone is touched. Every aspect. Every aspect of our lives is impacted. Which is why when when we come to life in you, every aspect of our life is brought under the lordship of Jesus. Lord, and you begin to sanctify each and every part of our being. And Lord, the impact then is upon all those with whom we come into contact. Where before, the aroma of our lives was one of death, of disappointment, of emptiness and pointlessness. But with Christ, it changes to one of life, of hope, of joy, genuine, where we gather with those who are our family eternally, where we can turn to those with whom we will spend eternity now for, for, for needs to be met, for encouragement to be offered, for prayers to be prayed on our behalf. God, we thank You that You bring us to life and provide us with family. Lord, and as we live together in a... In, in, in unity and in love, Lord, we proclaim to the world that is around us that we are yours, that Jesus is our master. Father, we pray that this gospel would be so evident in our church. Father, that our community would see, Lord, and be drawn to acknowledge that you are God. Because no one else can explain what you are doing here without attributing it to the divine to God. And Father, we pray that you would bless the, your people. And Lord, if there's one today who's sitting and hearing and not fully comprehending, Lord, but yet sensing a conviction in their heart or a need that is yet to be met by your grace, Lord, that this might be that moment, having heard the gospel, that they might respond in faith and believe that Jesus is who the Word declares him to be, your Son, And that he did all that the scriptures describe so that we might have life. And Father, as we stand in a moment and sing, might this be a day of new life for someone. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.